Lord, your love comes with a word. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We're here today at the invitation of our living word. We're here today to celebrate Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you that he indeed does have a word for our lives. He speaks to us through your spirit, through your written word. So today we pray quiet everything else within us, but the word of our speaking Lord. In his name we pray, amen. This summer I found a, a, a tree in an unexpected place. It was actually just a shoot of, of a tree beneath a bush in an out of the way spot. I saw this little thing, I said, oh little buddy, where'd you come from? It was actually the beginning of an oak tree. Looked around, didn't see any oak trees anywhere around there. A friend of mine told me that occasionally a bird will take an acorn and fly with it somewhere and bury it, hoping it will be there for colder days but they sometimes migrate or they forget where they've put these acorns. And then beneath the surface of the soil, very much out of sight, there's a little crack in that acorn and it opens up and a little root comes down and then forks and there's this little network and web of, of roots all below the surface, all unseen, before anything is observable to the naked eye above ground. There's growth behind the scenes, a seed. Jesus speaks of seeds, doesn't he? He speaks of the seed of the kingdom being the word of God as I mentioned just a moment ago. He speaks of faith the size of a mustard seed. He speaks of a seed that grows overnight while the farmer sleeps. It's a symbol for him of transformation. An acorn becomes a tree, transformation. A small, dirty, little dead thing becomes a great, beautiful, life-giving thing. It's a symbol of transformation for Jesus. It's also a symbol of hidden things, of, of things unseen and unexpected, of a shell that breaks, a root that drops, a web that expands all below the surface below even perhaps a sidewalk. And yet one day, with the force of a hydraulic piston, that sidewalk might someday break apart and there would grow a tree, a seed. You see, the lesson of a seed is never give up on God's work in your life. Never give up on God's work in someone else's life because beneath the surface, there might just be a work of God. Jesus brings a hidden work of transformation into our lives, into the world, doesn't he? Well, we're gonna be looking at a story this week, uh, actually for the next five weeks, that invites you and me to join Jesus in that work. We're gonna learn that behind every door there's a work of God 
So let's open up our Bibles today to Acts chapter 20. I'd love you to turn over to Acts chapter 20 so that we can all read it aloud to, in a moment. You can navigate there on a device. You can open up the Pew Bible to page 894. Maybe you have your own fourth grade Bible in your hands and uh, you can turn over there to Acts chapter 10. Uh, we'll read verses three through six, just kind of a bit of the beginning of this story. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. Acts chapter 10, verses three through six. And when we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter, for he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. So th this is a story that begins behind closed doors. There are two doors here. Uh, behind one door, we find Peter. Behind another door, we find a man named Cornelius. Now, they're not in the same neighborhood. And not yet. Wait for it. You know Peter, right? He's that follower of Jesus. He's a faithful Jew. He was once the fisherman, but now he's an apostle. He's traveling around Judea and western parts towards the sea at this moment. He's found himself in the home of a, another Simon, that's the Hebrew name Peter has, uh, who's a leather worker. And so he's there behind a door in a town called Joppa. Now behind the other door is this man named Cornelius. You may not know Cornelius. Peter didn't know him. Cornelius is not a follower of Jesus. He's not a faithful Jew. He's actually a foreigner. He's a, a Roman. And uh, he is on a tour of duty here in a city that is named for Augustus Caesar. He's 35 miles uh, away from Joppa. He's up north. And he is behind a door in Caesarea Maritime. So two men behind closed doors. Now there's nothing unusual about uh, being behind closed doors, but I want you to note and remember the seed. God is already doing something. The seed, God is already at work to change something, the seed. He's already at work, not just to change these two men, but also Peter's church and Cornelius's empire. Peter and Cornelius make a discovery in this story. And I think that if we, you and I, were to make that same discovery, it would change us in the way that it changed them. And it would change our world in the way that it changed theirs. And so the question is, what do they discover? And it's this. When they go next door, they're joining Jesus. Going next door invites us to join Jesus. See what happens? They open up their doors and they discover that Jesus is at work behind both of them, both doors, both men. When they open them, boom, transformation begins. Let me just pause for a moment. We'll come back to the story of Cornelius and, and Peter. 
But the language that I just used there, that's the way we talk about our mission here at University Presbyterian Church. We talk about joining Jesus and going next door and transformation. And I want to take advantage of this series for these next five weeks to remember really who we are and who Jesus is calling us to be. Now, really, some of you are new to UPC. I've met some of you and others I, I haven't. You're new to UPC and that's so wonderful. We welcome you. We thank you for, for joining us. Others of us, it's just that we felt we've got a kind of a gut punch you know, these last few years. It's been really, really hard and we've been disrupted and we've been disconnected. And I'm hoping that this is a time for us to reconnect. As I'm hearing many people say, you know what, George, it's just got to be, it's time for me. It's time for me. When it's time for you, I, I want you to know what you're a part of here. So, so let me share with you this morning, again, our mission statement. We don't talk about this all the time. It's not necessarily an elevator speech, but it's really meant to guide our allocation of resources and our sense of purpose and mission. Here's our mission statement. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of neighbors at the University of Washington in our neighborhoods and all around the world. We're joining Jesus. Do you hear that? Take that in. You take a picture of it if you want. I think it's on our website, but I want to introduce you to somebody that may be new for you and not new for others, a man named Clark from Ballard. I'll refer to him, Clark from Ballard. Several years ago, I told you a bit of his story. I only know a little bit myself. We read a post that Clark posted in a, a, group, a Facebook group in Ballard, and here's what Clark says. I moved here three years ago for a job transfer. I moved from New York City. I have no friends still. This is three years later, right? No friends. Anyone having similar problems like me? I don't know why it's so hard to meet people here in Seattle. I, I do meet people here, exchange numbers, but that's where it ended. No response back. All I want to do is cry. This is Clark. Have you ever felt that way in Seattle? Anyone ever felt that way at UPC? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Oh my gosh. Some of you, yeah, some of you actually are from New York City, right? Some of you are actually from California. Woohoo! Some of you are from Texas. Some of you are from Tennessee. Some of you are from China. Some of you are from Indonesia or Kenya. Some of you are from India. And you get here, and by the way, some of you are from Seattle and you still feel that way. You feel like Clark. This is one of the fastest growing cities in America. Our, our growth rate has slowed down during the pandemic. We actually shrank just a little bit, but we've been growing at one point, a thousand new residents a week. At the time that I got that, we saw that post from Clark. And many now, even after the pandemic, are coming to the U District. This is the next South Lake Union right here. You see the towers. It's going to be filled with people. And the largest demographic that are moving to Seattle are people from the ages of 25 to 34 years old. They're coming here. They're coming next door. And so here's Clark and many others stuck behind his closed door. All I want to do is cry. And here we are. We're stuck behind our closed door and you're, yet we're using language like family and neighbors and joining Jesus. And the question is, what are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? Well, our elders have wrestled and prayed with, over this question for quite a while now. In 2018 and in 2019, we believe that God gave us a vision 
just like he gave Peter and Cornelius. If you were here at that time, you may remember me saying and others that the center of gravity is is moving from our church campus into the neighborhoods of Seattle. We really believe that. What we're saying is that there's a kind of a paradigm shift happening at UPC, and it's not foreign to UPC, actually it's part of our history. But the paradigm shift is to think of this, our project not as to try to get the world into church, but to try to get the church into the world. Because Jesus has a mission in the world. And what could be more nobling? What could be a greater purpose for your life and for mine than to join him and participate in Jesus' mission of transformation and reconciliation and renewal of the whole world? That's an adventure. Sign me up. And so we did. We said this is where we're going. We don't know how to do that. We don't exactly know how to get there, but we want to join Jesus next door. That's our mission, to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors. We know ourselves to be a people whom God so loved, he gave his only son. We know our neighbors to be people whom God so loves, he gave his one and only son. We know ourselves that the purpose of our lives is to love God and to love our neighbors. Jesus teaches us that multiple times. He he, he says it so much, we come to believe that the measure of our love for God actually is our love for neighbors. No matter how long you've known Jesus, if you're not growing in your ability to love neighbors, you're not growing in your love for God. Well, maybe you're new to faith. You go, surely you're not talking about me. Maybe you're an introvert like I am. Uh, I'm also a recovering individualist. One is okay, the other's not so great. Maybe you're a little rough around the edges like I am, but here's good news. There's good news in this story of Peter and Cornelius, and I I don't want you to miss it this morning. It's this, that God is already working behind closed doors. He's already at work. We don't have to bring Jesus anywhere. We just have to discover him where he is. It's the seed thing. There are acorns all over the place in this city. If you could do a heat map and, and see God's work quietly below the surface in people's lives, in unseen places behind closed doors, it would bright, it'd be bright with light. Now the theological term for this, I'll be a little nerdy for, you for just a moment, the theological term for this is providence. Providence, the unseen work of God. Providence. Take, let me take a minute with providence. Because it, it comes out in the way that Luke is telling the story. We might say, oh there's a lot of coincidence in this story. No, for Luke it's Providence. Notice Cornelius has a vision and then boom, Peter has a vision, both behind closed doors. Then they start to open their doors. Peter goes up on, his, on the rooftop of Simon's house and then all, all of a sudden there's this group that Cornelius has sent from Caesarea down to Joppa, 21 hour um, march. There they are. Peter's puzzling over a vision that the Lord gives him, you know, with a sheet and food and all that stuff coming down. He's puzzling over just at the moment the spirit nudges him to go downstairs. Turns out that at the door now of this house is this little party. Suddenly men appeared, Luke says in verse 17. And Peter says, I'm the one you're looking for. Like there were two Simons, but he's like, I'm the one, I'm the right Simon. For what reason, what is the reason of your coming? That's verse 21. And the answer is like, nobody really knows. <laughs> The guys who come from Cornelius, they don't really know what this is about. Peter has had the strange vision. He's puzzling. He, I don't really know what this is about. So nobody really can answer the question except the reader. 
The reader of, of the book of Acts, which is the second part of the Gospel of Luke, it's Luke and Acts, and Luke is the writer of both, and there's this grand narrative that the reader knows it's going on. We go, oh yeah, God's doing something. These guys haven't discovered what it is yet, but the Lord is at work in an unseen way. This is providence. God is setting all of this up. Oh my goodness, just think about Cornelius. And we don't know, you can kind of use your imagination, right? Somehow he ends up in the military. I don't know if he enlists or he's conscripted, but that must have been a story in and of itself. And then he's part of this Italian cohort, Luke tells us. Well, what are they doing in Caesarea? He's, now he's here. Uh, he, he finds himself with this spiritual interest. He's a good man who cares for the poor and prays for his city. All that's providence. It just so happened. And then Peter, you know, you know Peter, you know his story, the fishing, the call, the the, the, the horrible night of the cross and then the tomb, the joyful discovery that he's alive and then the sermon Peter preaches on Pentecost, his travels, he happened to go west, he finds himself at a house by the sea, he gets hungry at a certain time, goes up and, and there's this vision of food, providence, God's setting this all up. So there's a narrative account of providence here in this text but there's also a principle and there's a lot that happens in Acts that you want to be careful about. It isn't always generalizable to our lives in exactly the same way. But when there's a, a, a narrative account and a principle, then you ought to pay attention. And in this case, there's both. The principle also comes from Luke in Acts 17, verse 26. In fact, you might just flip your Bible over. Just go, go over to the right to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And you hear, see, Paul, the apostle, preaching... Uh, a message in Athens. He's come to the intellectuals now and he's sharing this message and he says, it's a very interesting thing. He says, verse tw Acts 17, 26, he says, from one ancestor, he, that's God, the Lord, made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and he, notice this, allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. Ah, he allotted the times and places. That's time and space. God allotted, God assigned. Now this is interesting. I mean, if you're here in this room, you're here in Seattle today, and I don't know exactly why, but you're not in New York City anymore. You're not in California or Texas or Tennessee or China or Indonesia or India or Kenya anymore. You're here with me in Seattle. And if you're online, you're wherever you are in online, and I know we're in wonderful far-flung places, but you're there. And what Paul is saying, and Luke, as he tells the story, is that God has you there. You're, you're assigned. You're, you're allotted to that time and that place. Now, time to the Greeks, they thought about time in two ways. And they have two words for that. They have a time, chronos, and they have kairos. And chronos time is just a sequence of moments, seconds, uh, minutes, hours, days, and years. That's chronos. Kairos is very different. It's K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos is about opportunity. Kairos is a crisis, it's a turning point, it's a moment of opportunity. When the Lord gives you a Kairos moment in your life, you, you seize it then, it's never coming back. He may give you another one, but that moment is your moment and he's given it to you. See, see and, and then, and, and these places. So he's saying, I, 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 give you, I give you a moment, I give you time and I give you location. I'm putting you right where you are in time and space and then why? Why? Well, read on the next verse. Actually, the scriptures say, verse 27, so that they, that's us, would search for God. That's the purpose of it all. 
so that you and I would search for God and perhaps grope for him. Okay, it could get ugly, he's saying. It could get messy. You might have to grope a little bit, like you're trying to get your phone in the night, in the dark, and find him. There's the key. Though indeed, he is not far from each one of us. Mm. God is a lot of the times and God is a lot of the boundaries of the places where we would live. Neighborhoods, moments of opportunity. That's providence. He's saying, oh, I'm right here, right now. You don't see me, but I've put you right where you are in this moment, I have. Now, you may be here because you've made some bad decisions. You may be here because you've made some good decisions. You may be here because other people have made decisions. I'm not talking about any of that right now. I haven't lost you, that's the point. I've got you right here, right now for a purpose so that you'll grope for me and find me. You, Peter, you, Cornelius, you, Clark, and you, and you, and me. Oh, Peter, don't give up on old Cornelius, that old soldier. Oh, Cornelius, don't give up on Peter, that old sailor. Never give up on God's work in your life. Providence. See, what this means is Jesus is working before you even know he's working. Did you get that? He's working before you even know he's working. This is where faith comes in. You don't go, uh, there he is, I see him now, I'm gonna go over there. You, no, you, have to, you have to anticipate providence. Behind every door, there's a work of God. That's what I'm saying today. And here's the starting, startling implication that comes with that. To know God fully, we ourselves, we need to know our neighbors. Peter, see, get this. Make sure you get this. Peter is an instrument of change in Cornelius' life. We'll see this as, as the story unfolds, but there's gonna be forgiveness, there's gonna be salvation, there's gonna be the same kind of freedom and joy that Peter himself experienced on Pentecost, breaking into Cornelius' life, and it's all gonna happen through Peter. But this is the thing that's so easy to miss. Cornelius is God's instrument of change in Peter's life, right? Peter needs Cornelius. You get that? I mean, it's gonna blow his mind. It's gonna blow the church apart. I mean, it's gonna be really challenging. God uses Cornelius to change Peter's life. By the way, Peter is not going next door as some sense of duty. Oh, I heard a message at church. I gotta go love my neighbors. No. Why does Peter go? Because he's puzzled. Jesus has given him a vision and he can't make sense of it and he wants to know more of Jesus. What is this Jesus doing? He's wild as anything. Just when I got him figured out, he's going next door. And I, guess I, I guess I better follow him because I want to know him. And there goes Cornelius. Jesus, uh, there goes Peter. It takes him right into Cornelius' house and, and he will change. He will learn that Jesus is not just the savior of the Jews, that Jesus is the savior of the whole world and, and, and the agent of that God's instrument for that will be Cornelius. What I'm saying is these neighbors need each other. Mission, Leslie Newbegin argues, doesn't just change the world, it changes the church. Mission isn't the assertion of the church's influence on the world. No, it's an act of God through the power of the Spirit 
that extends the universal work of Christ for all and it changes the church and the world. We need each other, they need each other. To know God fully, both men need to open their doors to one another. So I see God, I see doors in my neighborhood. Maybe you do too. You ride your bike through your neighborhood or you walk your dog and you see all these doors and they're closed. And if you're like me as an introvert, you're kind of glad they're closed. I like closed doors. Um, I'm the last guy who's gonna pray for the ability to walk up a path and ring somebody's doorbell. That's not gonna be me. But as I do walk through my neighborhood, I find myself wondering, what's happening behind that door? Who's there? What's their story? What's their crisis? What's their opportunity? in that crisis? What do they care about? What are their dreams? What are their fears? God gives me those neighborhoods, those neighbors. And I wonder, what would I miss if I don't allow myself to be drawn in to find out more? I might be missing Jesus at work. So God has put a verse on my mind recently and I've been talking about it a lot. I want to share it with you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Just a part of this verse. You can memorize it right now. I have a memory verse this morning. God is making his appeal through us. That's the verse. God is making his appeal through us. Now, just think about that for a second, would you? Let, let your mind get blown. God is making his appeal through us, through me, through you. What? Do you have any idea who I am? You know, do you, ha- do you know my past? Do you know how screwed up I am? Do you know how my failures? And he says, yes. In fact, this is in 2 Corinthians where the apostle Paul is painfully transparent about his own weaknesses, his own failures, even his own despair. And yet he comes to this place where he says, God is making his appeal through us. Do you know me? Yes, I know you. Do you know my neighbors? that flag that they put up, the music that they're always playing, the nose ring. Do you know my name? Yes, the Lord says, and I love them. And my wife said the other day, well, George, these are just the kids that God has given us to love. (laughs) And that was kind of freeing. And in the same way, I think the Lord's saying, yeah, these are the neighbors. These are just the neighbors that I've given you to love. You don't have to take responsibility for them. The Lord's saying, I put you in that neighborhood. I'm creating opportunities. Remember Providence? I put you there for those neighborhoods and I put them there for you. You might've chosen other neighborhoods, neighbors. By the way, they might've chosen someone other than you as well. But I chose them for you and you for them. These are the neighbors I've given you to love. I got an email the other day from one of you found a way to love neighbors. You, this person learned that a neighbor was sick and he began praying for them. And one day they made some homemade pizza and they took it over on a Wednesday night for, for a meal. And the two families ate together. In time, over a year and a half later, the, this ritual became a regular two Wednesday night's dinner every two weeks, pizza. And in time, this neighbor began to drive their son their high school son to school every morning because it, it just helped. And there was these 10 minutes in which he now gets a conversation, somebody who's old and somebody who's young in that car, 10 minutes of conversation every day. Imagine the impact of that on both of those two. So we need each other, don't we? By the way, research has showed recently that we underestimate the value of conversation with strangers. It's always more fulfilling than we realize. 
Research has shown that our epidemic of loneliness has only deepened through the pandemic with all of its physical and emotional impacts. What the scripture is saying here is to know God fully, we need our neighbors. It's not good for man to be alone, as the Bible says. But how will we do this and where will we begin? Well, let's begin where they began. Good neighboring begins with prayer, with praying. This is where we find Cornelius and Peter at the beginning of the story. Both of them are praying. Cornelius in his home, Peter in the, on the roof of Simon, the, the leather worker. Prayer. You, you see, providence drives prayer. And prayer exposes providence. We pray because what our neighbors most need is not us, but they they need Jesus. So we need to come to them out of a deep well of spirituality. We need to spend time with Jesus so that we have an authentic witness to Jesus. It's in prayer that Cornelius hears Jesus calling him Cornelius. He discovers who he is in conversation with Jesus. We pray because we need direction. We, We need to join Jesus in prayer to join Jesus in our neighborhood, to allow him to get control of our lives, to lead us in his ways. And in prayer, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, get up. So I have a challenge for you this week. And it's, it's this, would you be willing to pray for a neighbor every day for the next seven days? Just seven days, could you, could you pray each day for a neighbor? And I, here's a tool for you, actually, I, we, you may have gotten it when you came in, a little tic-tac-toe. If you didn't get one, uh, just turn the bulletin over and r- do a tic-tac-toe right on the front of the bulletin. You can write it on a napkin, wherever you are. Um, but in the center of the tic-tac-toe, just write me, that's, that's you, and then, the other boxes are for the people that live around you, above you, in front of you, behind you, where, next to you, wherever you are, your other apartments or other houses in your neighborhood. And this, this is a tool to help you begin to learn about your neighbors. You fill it in, their names. Uh, add in the names of their pets. We usually meet the dog's names before we get our neighbor's names. And, and maybe their children or bits of their story. You fill that in, you can put it on your refrigerator and you gra- uh, gradually add to it. You know, you can't love somebody that you don't know. And so get to know them and then record in this prayer. And then start praying for them. On the other side of what we gave you here this morning, there's a list of uh, spaces for, for, for neighbors' names and maybe some specific requests. Now you can ask your neighbor, how could I be praying for you if you want? But you don't have to this week. This is not about talking to your neighbors, um, praise God, introverts. This is about talking to Jesus for the sake of your neighbors, okay? You're gonna pray, for, and it could be the same neighbor every day for seven or a different neighbor each day, it doesn't matter, but would you be willing to commit? If you'd be willing to do that, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, I'll pray for a neighbor seven days, let's just see. Oh, look at that, look at that. Put your name in the chat if you'd be willing to pray for a neighbor this, this week. Very good, just imagine the impact that the Lord will have on our city. Now let me finally say that the most important thing uh, uh, is to open your door to Jesus. The most important door that you have is the door on your life. It's a thought that you and I can wake up every morning on adventure if we wake our, up open to him. Jesus himself says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. He's talking about the door of, of, of our lives. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. That's Revelation 3.20. Listen, I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking. In Jesus, God has opened the door of heaven. He's put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He's crossed the street of sin and death to come for sinners like me and maybe like you. He stands at your door. All that just to stand at your door like he stood for Peter and then Cornelius and for so many others through time and space until one day he could come and stand before you 
right now, right here, in a Kairos moment of opportunity to say, open the door and I will come into your life. He's ready and eager. Will we let him? Well, we'd like to help you with that. Uh, if we may, please tell us in the chat, you wanna say yes to Jesus. Uh, come down front after the service and speak to one of our prayer team members or come to upc.org Jesus uh, where you can get more information and you can come into conversation with someone who will help you come to know God through Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. Never give up on God's work in your life. Never give up on God's work in someone else's life. Behind every door, there's a work of God. Remember that seed. Remember the seed that Jesus so often spoke about. Oh, and it reminds me, one last thing. Um, Clark from Ballard, I just thought to myself as I was writing this message, you know, maybe I should reach out and see how, he's, how he has connected. So I, I, I did, you know, he was the new guy that came to Seattle several years ago. I reached out and I said, hey, Clark, I messaged him. Um, you know, I'm a pastor at a church here in Seattle and I'd seen your post a few years ago and just wonder how you doing? Have you gotten connected? Is there any way we can help with that? Here's my email address. You know what he did? 10 minutes later, he blocked me. <laughs> it just went totally dark. <laughs> I canceled. I, I draw two conclusions from that. Number one, Clark has now completely acclimated to Seattle culture, right? He's given me the freeze. He's given me the freeze. Well done, Clark. You're good. You're one of us. And then the second thing is, it, it, if, if someone's going to reach Clark with the good news of Jesus, it's not going to be a pastor. It's not going to be a pastor. He's, he, said, I, he said, do not disturb when it comes to pastors. What it's going to be is an authentic neighbor, with a, with, a, with a love that comes from Jesus Christ. That's gonna be the game changer in Clark's. It's gonna be you. It's gonna be you. Remember, God is making his appeal through you. Let's pray. Lord, wow, what a, what a privilege this is. At first it feels like a burden, but when we think about it, just to make ourselves available to you, what a privilege this is. What an adventure this is we're on. Our lives aren't half as mundane as we thought they were. Look, you're at work in our lives and through our lives and there's this process of discovery. We're gonna grow, our neighbors are gonna grow. All of it is you at work here in Seattle. So we pray that we just open doors, help us to find ways of opening doors in our lives and around our lives. Um, and, and we pray that you'll get the glory, that all the attention won't be on us, but be on you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.